This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach, heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, the show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I'm Judy Liebrach, and I'm so excited to introduce to you our exclusive celebrity guest today. So you'll recognize him as that guy from Degrassi, or you may know him as the web-swinging hero who played Spider-Man on Broadway. I first saw him in the leading role of Jerry Goffin, Carol King's husband in Beautiful, the Carol King musical on Broadway, and his performance blew us all away. Of course, I'm talking about the uber-talented actor, singer, and writer Jake Epstein. I really love this Finding Your Bliss story about the kid who dreamed about being on Broadway one day and would belt out show tunes on annual road trips to New York with his family. So Jake Epstein, as mentioned, not only originated the role of Jerry Goffin on Broadway in the Tony-nominated hit Beautiful, the Carol King musical, but he also survived a year as Spider-Man in Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. On tour, he has performed in most major theaters across the U.S., starring in the Tony award-winning hit Spring Awakening, playing the leading role of Melchior, as well as playing Will, in Green Day's American Idiot. That's pretty cool. Off-Broadway, he starred in the New York Times critics' pick, Straight. Selected regional credits include Billy Elliot, Mervish Productions, which I also saw and loved him in, and therefore Choose Life, produced by Harold Green Jewish Theatre, which won him a Broadway World Award. Jake Epstein was also in Dog Sees God, produced by Michael Rubinoff, Two Ross Petty Pantos, including Cinderella, and I totally see him as Prince Charming, and the world premiere of Ken Ludwig's Dear Jack, Dear Louise at the Arena Stages in Washington, D.C. He has appeared, and get this, in over 40 TV shows and films, but is best known for Degrassi, The Next Generation, for which he won a Gemini Award. And so many iconic shows such as Designated Survivor, ABC and Netflix, and Suits, USA Network and Netflix. And coming up soon, Jake will appear in the newest seasons of Umbrella Academy on Netflix. Very cool. And Hardy Boys, Netflix and Disney+. And of course, he's here today to talk about his one-man show, Boy Falls from the Sky, produced by Mervish Productions, which is a bittersweet musical love letter to show business, playing at the Royal Alexander Theatre and playing from April 19th to May 29th. And we'll tell you more about how to get tickets at the end of the show. Jake Epstein, welcome to Finding Your Bliss. Judy, thank you for that intro. Thanks for having me. Hi. So delighted to have you here. <laughs> Hello. It's nice to see you. It's so nice to see you too. I have to start with your long-awaited and twice-delayed, due to COVID, of course, exuberant and bittersweet musical love letter to showbiz. And I think this is going to be your take three, as you've described it. I read the script and was totally blown away by your story. And I really can't wait to see you in this production. 
What's funny is that I did all of this research on you. And then when I went to read the script, Boy Falls from the Sky, your solo fringe cabaret about the highs and unexpected lows of being a Broadway performer. And I laughed out loud and thought, oh, my goodness, the whole story is right here within the pages. Yeah, you didn't need to do any research. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't need to do all that research. Uh, But it's so brilliant and so compelling. And I can't wait for it. Can you tell us more about your inspiration for writing and starring in your upcoming one man? show boy falls from the sky well thanks yeah i'm so excited i mean when a show has been uh postponed twice you know me and my whole team were like on the edge of our seats like put us in coach you know let us do (laughs) let us do our thing um so yeah i'm just gosh i'm so excited to get to perform and do what i do and tell this super personal story when i was a kid my dream was to be a Broadway performer. It was my whole life. My family vacations with my parents where we would road trip to New York and see a Broadway show. My older sister, Gabby Epstein, who many people will know is a Stratford star and an incredible cabaret performer. We both just grew up idolizing Broadway and musical theater. And uh, the show is my story of going about trying to achieve that childhood dream with, like you said, the highs and just devastating lows of the reality of show business. And it's, uh, the show is, um, it celebrates the absurdity of show business. Mm. And it's also a love letter to show business. And uh, it's my story. It's it's all I got. And uh, it's the most personal thing (laughs) I've ever done. But it's been a, a really gratifying experience to put the thing together and get to do it on such a, a huge stage here in Toronto. With Mervish Productions, which ironically is, I think, how you started off at the Royal Alexandra Theatre. When you played in Soul Pepper Theatre's Our yes. Town, yeah. you were a little kid. You were 11 years old. Yeah. What was that like to stand on that stage for the first time in our town? Well, I mean, I'll I'll tell you what it was like, but what was so astounding about that opportunity was the cast. I mean, I was 11. I had no idea who Peter, the late Peter Donaldson was the stage manager and Oliver Dennis and John Jarvis and Martha Burns and Nancy Polk and William Webster and Diego Matamoros and Michael Hanrahan. And I could go on and on about this cast, which is today kind of the, probably amongst the greatest Canadian actors we have, were these people kind of playing with me when I was 11. Wow. They were just cool. They would just kind of smoke (laughs) in my face and like tell me about how life is shit and like swear in front of me and... And, uh, I mean, I, and I just fell in love with them. And I mean, performing, I, I don't even fully know if I realized kind of how special that was. I think I just thought it was like summer camp, what every kid does, in which case there was a lot of people there in the audience watching and, and clapping at the end of the day. So, you know, I think I, if I remember, I got a chocolate bar after every show was like, (laughs) (laughs) so I probably, the chocolate bar was probably the most exciting part for me. But it was, wow. yeah, what a what a debut to make. And, and to get, like you said, to get to do this show of this magnitude on that same stage all those years later is, yeah. uh, is just beyond. 
It's so fantastic. And that led to you getting the role of Artful Dodger in Oliver. Yeah. And I think that's when your parents really sensed, your wonderful parents, Kathy Kayser, who writes wonderful stories that are inspired by the Holocaust. And she writes these wonderful children's books and she's won all these awards. And as well, your dad, Ian, who is a lawyer. I think that your parents and, and maybe your sister as well realized at that point you really love this. There was something about that production of Oliver that I think made them realize this might be it for you. Yeah, I mean, I I know um, my parents obviously loved theater and encouraged my sister and I to love theater, but I it wasn't until they came and saw me in Oliver that I think they really saw that I maybe had some talent and that I wasn't afraid to get up on stage. And I remember them saying to me, they didn't know that I could dance. They were like, we didn't know that was a thing you did. And I was like, yeah, like, again, there was no sense of anything. I mean, I was a really active kid and I loved playing sports and I did karate. And so I remember when I learned the choreography, it was like learning a kata in karate. It was the same thing, which was a series of, you know, moves, which is like choreography. I just had never called it that before. And so I was very quick at picking it up, which I think was part of why I got the role. And again, like I probably didn't have a full sense of how special that opportunity was to to play at the Princess of Wales for over 2,000 people every night and, and to get to sing Consider Yourself, and like oh be goodness. the artful dodger. And I mean, it was just, yeah, it was just insane. It's incredible. And I think that's when the acting bug really hit you as well. Like you're a brilliant actor. I have to tell you that. The way you connect with an audience, the way you become a character, that's just something I, it's indescribable. I've seen you do it a number of times. What do you love about performing? Uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of things I love about performing. I mean, I, I love the feeling of, uh, this is going to sound uh, like Machiavellian or something, but like the feeling of power, <laughs> like the feeling that a human being can get up on a stage and say something and it can mean something to people or someone can get up and (laughs) sing something and it can move people. I mean, I think that's what I fell in love with when I saw performers at a young age, like, wow, humans get to do that and we get to experience it with them. I think over the years, what I also love is exploring getting to be other people other than yourself. It's so fun to try on those hats and to really immerse yourself in a role and really take it seriously and think about how other people experience life. And you really start to empathize with all sorts of different people in the world. And I loved getting to be sort of a cog in these larger stories and getting to be part of that is just the thrill of my life. Wow. The first Broadway show you ever saw was Big the Musical, and you evidently listened to that cassette tape until it broke. And for those of you who don't know what cassette tape means, <laughs> I have to look it up. I don't know how to explain it, but I think our Zoomer audience will know it. You probably yeah, know the words to every song. What was it that you loved about that music? <laughs> uh, gosh, the thing that I loved most about the show was that the uh, the chorus for the show were all kids. So I just remember seeing, you know, kids my own age who were confident and getting laughs and getting huge applause and standing ovations. 
so that's the thing that first took my attention. Also, you know, big, the, the movie I love, I, Tom Hanks is <laughs> my hero and that movie is so amazing. So I just, yeah, I love the story. And when you haven't seen a musical and your first musical is filled with kids, I mean, it, it's, it's all of a sudden sort of doing it almost seems possible. I was like, I could do that. Like I'm yes. close to them. They're just a few feet in front of me on that stage. Yeah. Yeah. So like you said, we big became the tape that we would just play in our car, like every carpool. So my parents probably went crazy. And, and it's not a very known musical and it didn't last very long on Broadway. So it's sort of a funny musical for my sister and I to obsess over. But uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty great. Oh, you, lo- you loved it. And I also love that you were the little kid who auditioned for fun for theater school when you were only nine years old. What was it like attending an art school and how did that decision change the trajectory of your life? Yeah, I, I, um, truth be told, the real story of auditioning for art school is I found out that you got to miss a few days of school to audition. (laughs) So me and all my friends from Owen Public School, we're all like, mom and dad, we want to audition for art school. And we got to miss, I think we got to miss three days of school. So we were like, this is great. I was the one that got in. I mean, I I certainly loved it, but I had never done anything before other than, like I said before, being active and doing karate. And, and I actually got in. I mean, it wasn't part of the plan. And um, I initially didn't want to leave my friends, but my mom said, you know, I know that you love this. I really want you to try it for two weeks and see how it goes. And if you hate it, you will switch you back. And if not, and I did it and I just didn't look back. I just, I just absolutely fell in love with it. So yeah, I had incredible drama teachers that I'm still in touch with to this day and wow. singing teachers and dance teachers. I mean, I was just exposed to the arts at such a young age. It was, hmm. it's such an amazing education. And yeah, I was, I was going to say, but I hesitated I met my wife. Uh, my wife was a year ahead of me at Claude Watson as well, which is just insane. No way. I didn't yeah, realize that. Yeah, I know yeah, that you had yeah. a long distance relationship for years and then you had this fairy tale wedding and you're now happily married and you had this long distance relationship when you're in New York. We're going to get there soon, but I didn't realize you yeah, met her yeah. way back then. Wow. I One did. of your biggest breaks happened when you were cast as Craig Manning on Degrassi, The Next Generation, a role you played for five years and won a Gemini Award for. Pretty heady stuff. What do you remember about that life-changing audition with producer Linda Schuler for Degrassi? What are your memories of that? Because that was life-changing. It was absolutely life-changing. You know, again, like any life-changing thing, you don't go into it thinking it's going to be life-changing. Mm. I wasn't really a fan of Degrassi. I didn't really know what it was. My older sister would rush home to watch reruns. So I remember telling Gubby that I was auditioning and she was more excited than I was. <laughs> and when I auditioned, so I had a callback or two. And I think I was at my final audition and there was an older actor there who I assumed was just the reader. And there was a bunch of guys sitting in a waiting room and they all kind of, we all had like brown hair and looked like sort of, brooding wannabe rock stars and he like pointed at me and asked me if I wanted to run lines so I'm like sure cool so I'm thinking the reader is just being nice or something so I read some lines with him I go and I, I do the audition with him and we have great chemistry and we're improvising and what I didn't know is that that actor is Pat 
Mastriani, who played Joey Jeremiah from the original Degrassi and was yes. my character's stepdad. And Ugh. I have no idea why he asked me to run lines. In fact, a few years ago, I went for <laughs> lunch with him and I asked him about it. And he said, you look the most nervous of anyone in the room. <laughs> He's like, that kid looks really nervous. I'm going to just calm him down. And, uh, and for sure, that was the reason I got the role. We had this, you know, so that audition was just just um, crazy. And then, and then got the role and again, didn't really expect that it would sort of take off and didn't expect it to take off in the US the way that it did. And I had a, I had a really great part. I got to play some really juicy, yes. really serious uh, storylines. So as an actor, again, it was just an incredible education. And they brought a psychologist onto set just to talk about what was going on with teenagers at the time. And to be in high school at the time of doing it, I mean, it, it really, it felt, I could see that a lot of people were watching it, that it spoke to a lot of people. And so, yeah, it was uh, just amazing. What a meaty role your character, Craig on Degrassi, suffered from parental abuse and bipolar disorder. And the character was really conflicted. Probably the furthest thing from playing a Prince Charming in Cinderella. <laughs> but the role caught on. And it's interesting because in reading about you, Jake, I noticed that you you come across as such a sunny, positive person. You have this light around you. You really do. And a likability factor. And yet you have played many stormy and dark characters on stage. Do you love the challenge of playing these types of roles? Or does a part of you long to play a character with less angst who is light and uncomplicated? That's a great question. I think there's a huge part of me that does feel a struggle and that maybe isn't so sunny and, and light. And so maybe there's a part of me that I, I don't like to show a lot of people that I maybe that I recognize in a lot of these parts. But that being mm -hmm. said, I've been told before from a few directors that the reason they cast me in these serious parts is that they liked that I, I, I was quite happy and, and energetic and fun. And they wanted that color yes. to those dark and like you said, sort of brooding roles. Because ultimately, yes. that's what a person is. It's not just one thing. And so I've had some directors say, we looked for the sort of happiest, funniest person to play <laughs> this really serious role because we thought it would sort of balance out the part. Yes, so true. Your likability factor balances it and makes the character even more complex and fascinating. It yeah, makes you yeah, likable, so sure, you're confused sure. because you're going, wait a minute, there's supposed to be someone that right. we don't like, but he's still likable. <laughs> right. right, right, absolutely. <laughs> so cool. During that time, you were friends with Aubrey Drake, of course, Drake, Graham in Degrassi. You even went to his bar mitzvah. And you've described being in Degrassi as like your second high school. You're still in touch with a lot of those guys. And what I also love is that you went to a real high school while you were starring in Degrassi. And like many of your castmates, who I think went to tutors or to this special onset school. So what right. was that like for you attending a real life high school and getting that immediate feedback every day about Degrassi from your friends at school? Like, how cool is that? Yeah, it was cool. I mean, I, I'm so glad I convinced my parents to let me go to a normal school because I feel I feel like that's like the only reason that I'm still somewhat normal to this day <laughs> is because <laughs> because I I yeah, I would have this 
larger than life experience filming a TV show. And then I just went to school and had friends and was in the school play and had a radio show on our school radio show. I mean, I just like, I just had this sort of normal experience and you're right. The majority of the cast all went to specialty schools. And I know a lot of them have said it's kind of messed them up a little bit because they weren't really around other kids. They were just around other actors or, you know, and, uh, it was, it was funny when I was shooting Degrassi and some of the storylines were quite serious it was challenging at times because a lot of the kids at school would sometimes assume that I was the person that I was playing. So for example, like my character, he uh, like cheats on his girlfriend, he impregnates a girl. And I came to school the day after that episode aired (laughs) and people threw condoms at me. Like it was sort of an act of of bullet. I mean, it was funny because it was both, me kind of being like, oh God, I don't know how to react. Like I'm being bullied. And at the same time, I was like, is this a compliment? They think I am the character. They're sort of (laughs) like, so it was both things, Judy. I got a lot of positive attention for being on a show and also a lot of intense attention, sometimes negative attention. I didn't like that attention a lot of the time and didn't always have that perspective that this is what comes with being an actor and being on a TV show. So it was, it, yeah, it was a, it was sort of a, a bit of a mixed bag, but all that being said, I'm so grateful. I went to the school, I went to Earl Haig and, and I did, I had a great time. Did you have a sense at the time? And I'm sure you didn't in like the first week of shooting this, but did you have a sense at the time when you got the role, how popular Degrassi, the next generation would become. And I just, before I, uh, you answer that, I think about the time you were in New York on Broadway in another show, which we'll get to in a minute. You walked on the street late at night after a show and someone said, oh, Degrassi, can we take a picture? And can you say Degrassi in the picture when you smile? And here you were on Broadway, but Degrassi was still following you. Yeah. Did you know pretty early on, like, this is a big deal. I'm going to let you answer that very soon. We're just going to go on a quick commercial break. More about Degrassi, Broadway, and Jake Epstein when we come back. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, Create is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. Create has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. And I was just asking you, Jake, if you knew early on that this show was going to become a huge runaway hit. Not really. We were in a bit of a Canadian bubble and the show really took off when it became popular in the U.S. They have a bit more of a star system in the U.S. than they do in Canada. I feel like everyone Mm -hmm. in Toronto... 
everyone's like former roommate was on Degrassi. Like everyone would kind of be like, oh yeah, my cousin uh, Fred played uh, Lou on Degrassi. Like everyone just Joe. knew. Everyone was in like one degree yeah. of someone who was on the show. And so I would get recognized in Toronto, but it was always like we're all in the family kind of thing. But in the US yeah. where they do have very much, yeah, very much a star system. When... um we started promoting the show. They would send us on uh, mall tours is what they called them. We'd go to various malls in the U.S. Oh, wow. to sign autographs and promote the show. And like thousands of people would show up to get autographs. And that was when I was like, oh, wow, like people are watching the show. It's crazy. <laughs> That's just, so cool. Yeah. You went, I'm fascinated by this, that you attended the National Theatre School of Canada. And I want to just explain this to our listeners. They only accept 12 people into this program. It is really a revered institution. Like I've always been in awe of people who went to the National Theatre School. <laughs> what was that like getting into that program? Because that's very awe-inspiring stuff. It's very hard. To, I think it's harder to get into that school than it is to Juilliard, truly. Right. <laughs> what was right. that like? Oh, man. I, so firstly, I absolutely revered people who'd gotten into school as well. Um, <laughs> But there was one yeah. there was one girl from my high school. She was a few years older than me who had gone there. So it was sort of in back of my head, I was like, it's possible. Like I know someone who's gotten <sighs> in. It is possible to get in. Krista Colosimo was her name, and she was um she did the Shaw Festival. She's an incredible actor. I I haven't seen her or talked to her in many, many years. But I um one of my teachers from school, I talked to about it and asked him if he would coach me on it. His name was Michael Reinhardt. He's now the, I believe he's the artistic director of um, Randolph right now. But he like just absolutely helped me in a way that I would never have been able to do it on my own. And and then, uh, yeah, I was, you know, super lucky. And, you know, they kind of cast a class every year. And I, um, God, I got in. I couldn't believe it. Do you remember how you found out? Was it an email, a phone call in those days? Uh, it was a, it was like a package. Like, I feel like that was, you oh. know, you'd, you'd uh, <laughs> apply to university. And if you're if it was just a letter, it was not good. But if it was a package, that was a very good sign. So I remember getting in the mail like a big, wow. thick, full package from the <sighs> National Theatre School and thinking, oh, man, I think I got in. Oh, wow. And you have said that your three favorite cities in the world are Tel Aviv, I think Toronto and Montreal, if I'm not mistaken. And you got to spend some time in Montreal. What was that like? It was great. My sister went to McGill. Two of my cousins went to McGill. So I I spent a lot of time going to visit and sort of getting to party <laughs> with my older sister, which was like the coolest thing I could possibly do. So I just, wow. Montreal, I just thought was the greatest city in the world. I just, I loved the music scene and the art scene and theater scene. And uh, I think the, the best city in the world to, to go to school as a young person. It was, it was, yeah, pretty awesome. Awesome. Were the shows fabulous? Like the shows that you did at the they National Theater weird. School? Like they were uh, like well, theater school. Were they, weird? <laughs> they were totally, they were totally weird. They were like three and a half hour you know, right. I mean, it was a whole range of things we did at school. It was it was a lot of classical text, a lot of Shakespeare. And, you know, the, the thing that I loved about school was actually they encouraged you to write. 
And that was probably the beginning of my mm. love of writing is that I, you know, I wow. had a teacher who said, write your dream role, write it yourself. No one's going to write it for you. Wow. So that was probably the biggest thing I took away because I loved school. But the thing that I really loved most is that I started, I wrote a one man show when I was at school. I was part of a collective. Wow. We wrote a, a piece that we got to perform a few times and, and taking ownership and getting to perform your own words on stage was this real awakening for me as an artist. Ah, oh, that's so awesome. Everyone on my team, Jake, here at Finding Your Bliss, are all in their 20s. And when we all realized that you starred as Will in Green Day's touring production of American Idiot, they went crazy. How cool was that for you to work with Billy Joe Armstrong in that production and be in that touring production? It was so cool. It was beyond. I mean, the first concert I ever went to when I was 13 years old was Green Day at the Hershey Center in Mississauga. Oh. I grew up play- in bands. I, I grew up singing those songs and played the album American Idiot on what I told you before. I hosted a radio show at my high school. I was obsessed with that album. And when I, oh. I was on tour with Spring Awakening and our director had also directed American Idiot and that's Michael Mayer. So he took us kind of on a field trip out of the city we were to go and see it. Um, at Berkeley. Oh and I knew oh. I saw it. I was like, this, I have to find a way to be part of this show. And <sighs> so I just, I tracked down an audition and, and was lucky to, to get the part. But yeah, you know, Billy Joel oh came God. out and hung out with us and he was so generous <laughs> and, and so like funny and normal. And it was just, um, oh. uh, it was hard to put into words. It was really fun, exciting. Wow. Another incredible career milestone, you got cast as Spider-Man on Broadway, and that was your Broadway debut. And you had been a huge comic book fan growing up. So that must have also been a day for the books. How did you find out that you got the leading role of Spider-Man on Broadway? Oh, man. Uh, Talk about things that are beyond your wildest dreams. (laughs) I got an audition because the music director of Spring Awakening was the music director of Spider-Man. I went in and auditioned and they said, you know, we think you're, you're kind of too confident and put together. We're looking for someone who's really awkward and weird to play this role. And the music director (laughs) stood up and said, Jake is the weirdest person that I know. And I was like, (laughs) I was like, thank you. And they were like, okay, let's give him a final callback. Like, because of that. And then I went to this audition. They said one camera is for Bono because he wrote the music. This other camera is Marvel because they need to review your audition. There was a team and I just went for it. You know, when you have nothing to lose, right? I just went for it. I sang, I acted and they really liked my take on the role. Then they took me to the theater. They strapped me in a harness and they flew me around the theater. And it was horrible. And I was From balcony to balcony. Yes. And I just was flailing and horrible. So I found out later because I was, you know, so I finished it and I was like, I 100% did not get that role. But that is one of the coolest days of my life. And then the next day I got a call and they and they said, you know, your flying was horrible, but you weren't scared. You looked like you were having fun. And so they were like, we want to work with someone who's, who's enjoying the fact that they can kind of put themselves up in the air on a thing. So everything about that experience was was just larger than life. And then, you know, getting to meet Bono 
getting to put on the Spider-Man tights, getting to learn how to do all the acrobatic flying. And you mentioned before I was, I did two Ross Petty pantos. I kind of recognized the show was a panto. That's what it, what I was the prince in the panto. And that's kind of how I played it for a lot of comedy and really interactive with the audience. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the show was a lot of things and I, I would probably wouldn't want to totally go into it without telling people to come see my show. But ultimately yes. it was, um, yeah, just just amazing. Everyone, you have to go and see this show because you will hear about the other side of Spider-Man. I'm not going <laughs> to yeah. give it away because I want to yeah. protect the show because it's it just sounds so good. But there's a whole other behind the scenes side that you'll learn about if you go and see Jake Epstein in A Boy Falls from the Sky. But I love the story about how your family came. Gabby, your very yeah. dear sister, who you share so much in common with, like a career, and we both love musical theater and are in musical theater, and you flew overhead. Your mother was crying. Yeah, yeah. Gabby right. was laughing. And you well, got to high five. I'll give people context. So, that yeah, my very first show, I knew my family was coming. I didn't know where they were sitting, but they sat in the first row of the first balcony. And like you're saying, at the end of the show, I fly around the theater, I land on the balcony, and I landed in front of my family. And it's, yeah, it's a moment in my show. And like you said, I literally high-fived my dad and then flew up into the wings. I mean, it was just, it was just, <laughs> it was just... I have the chills. I have the chills. So <laughs> crazy. So you were rigged and flying above the stage as Spider-Man on Broadway. And then there's a whole other story that people will find out when they come to the show. When I first got to see you really up close and personal was when I first came to New York with my family to see you star as Jerry Goffin in Beautiful, the Carol King musical on Broadway, in which you co-starred with Jesse Mueller. Like, I'll never forget that night. And our family was blown away. My son, Max, my daughter, Lily, my husband... And you were phenomenal in that role. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. What was it like being in that production? You even had a relationship with Carol King. What what was that like? Everything about that experience was just beyond what I, what I thought was possible. It was so exciting. It was so sort of secretive. I mean, everything about it was like, we all had this secret in New York, like we knew this was going to be this amazing show. I was playing Jerry Goffin, who was alive at the time. And I grew up with folk music. Like I was one of those weird kids who didn't listen to (laughs) modern music until high school. I listened to (laughs) Carole King and James Taylor and Simon and Garfunkel and the Beatles and this music, that history of the Brill Building, which is the heart of the show, about that time of sort of churning out hits. Mm-hmm. I just connected to it so much. Yeah, I mean, again, I I, um, <laughs> I never know like how much to go into it just with my show, but I, I do want to go into it a little bit. What I found both so exciting and also so challenging about that experience was that I had such huge expectations for myself. I was creating a role on Broadway and everyone around me was brilliant. Jesse Mueller was brilliant. And 
I had auditioned for the role, which was written in a certain way. And as we kept developing the piece, the writer and the director sat me down and said, we need to make your character the antagonist in the story because this is a musical. Mm -hmm. No, which is absolutely a fair uh, thing. Yeah. But what I found so confusing at the time was that, like you said, I got to meet Carol King. I I had this relationship with Carol and all she would say to me is, please don't make Jerry the villain. He's not the villain. And Jerry and his team would say, don't make Jerry the villain. And it was a lot of um, responsibility where I felt like I was in charge of the way that the world was going to maybe understand this guy's story. And and he's brilliant, beyond brilliant, but had made some interesting choices in his life, maybe some mistakes wow. that he would admit to. And, and so what started happening is that the audience at the end of the show would really, would sometimes boo my character, <laughs> which, which is absurd. And it was so confusing because it was both the greatest high of my life. It was everything that I had wanted in my entire life. And at the same time, I was like, I felt like I was letting down Carol and Jerry, and I felt this strange responsibility, and it really affected me. And I had a really hard time understanding that. And that was kind of what sparked me wanting to write about <laughs> about show business and about what what kind of yes. goes on behind the scenes of show business and, yes. and maybe other people that that are sort of experiencing or going um, who have high achieving professions. Yes. You know, when people ask me about it, the simple answer is for me to say it was incredible and great. And at the same time, I also want to say it was also a bit of a complicated time for me. It was both Mm -hmm. those things. But I think of it so fondly. And Mm -hmm. I got to do it with Jesse. And then I got to go back and do it a second time with Shalina Kennedy, who is my absolute hero and a friend of mine, a fellow Canadian. And I know she's been on this show as well. Yeah, loved her. Loved she's, her. Yeah. she's just phenomenal. Like she's just the real deal. What was so beautiful about that experience of doing beautiful is that I got to go back and do it a second time and, and really appreciate it that second time and appreciate yes. all the parts yes. of it, the good and the bad and, and everything that it took to get there and how lucky I was yes. to get to be on Broadway and telling a great story with like my favorite music in the world. So doing that show is a real gift. And finding the balance, it it almost sounds like you were balancing on a tightrope, right? Because you were balancing, like it's fascinating to me. And I I know you really go into this in your musical, in your one man (laughs) show, Boy Falls from the Sky. So I'm excited for people to see it, to really get what happens. The stars that you met during all of this time on Broadway, many of those meetings that you had with them brought tears to my eyes when I read about them. If I say a few names, could you please tell me what comes to mind, especially <laughs> that Paul McCartney story? <laughs> okay. Well, Paul McCartney is just everything, hero, all downhill after that. Yeah. I do feel like after meeting Paul McCartney, I was like, I'm done. I don't need to meet. Like, that's it. That's it. Oh, gosh. I, you know, I, I found out he was at the show. I was so excited. I mean, I, I mentioned to you before that I just idolized that time in history and, and the Beatles are everything. And then I found out that he wasn't going to come backstage because it was a little mm-hmm. bit hard logistically. And I was so excited <laughs> that I burst into tears. <laughs> because <laughs> I was like, I was on the brink of meeting my hero. 
And then in a second, I found that it wasn't happening. So the stage manager kind of took me into his office and like, let's settle down and clean yourself up. The whole cast went downstairs to change. And I came out and Paul McCartney was there and he had changed his mind. And I had this like 10 minute conversation with Paul McCartney. And he was so cool and so gracious. And I mean, it was absurd. He was complimenting me on my, you know, he was like, you're amazing. You're great. And like, I was like, ah, you, like, I don't even know what I said. I just made noises at him. Um, wow. But that was, uh, that was, uh, that was very, very cool. I I don't I have tears in my eyes again just hearing that story because I can understand and empathize what that must have felt like for you. What was it like meeting Joel Gray, who pointed out that you shared a dressing room, <laughs> and he even said that's my lamp over there. Yeah. Is that accurate? So he came and knocked on my door and said, "Get out of my room," because it was his <laughs> dressing room and his eyes. And uh, <gasps> it was also <sighs> one of those moments where I. I did manage to say to him that his performance in Cabaret was one of the reasons that I became an actor, seeing that as a young kid. And yeah, I think he just was like, that's my lamp. Like he just was kind of funny. And, <laughs> but uh, definitely oh. a, a bucket list moment. What did Hillary Clinton say to you? <laughs> Hillary Clinton was very cool. It was a really exciting show. We all, like the Secret Service had to come beforehand and sort of vet everyone. And, and she was just cool. Like she was, I remember thinking how funny she was. She was so relaxed and talking about what she loved and what she didn't. And she was like me. She was like, you were mean. Your guy was mean in the show. Like she was just kind of, you know, shaking it. Like she, she was very, very down to earth very grounded, uh, to be honest, a little bit different than when I saw her running for president. I almost felt like I was very aware that she was clearly very coached, but I just, I thought she was super cool. Really wow. liked Hillary. Is there anyone I haven't mentioned that you met that you were really starstruck about meeting? Don't answer that just yet. We're going to go on a short commercial break and we'll find out about some of the other mega stars that Jake Epstein met while he was performing on Broadway. We'll be right back after this short break. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, Create is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. Create has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back on Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, and we are having a delightful hour with actor, singer, and writer Jake Epstein. Jake, who are some of the other stars that you met while you were performing on Broadway? There was a, a lot of people. I mean, Robbie Robertson came again, like the band. Are you kidding me? Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, you know, Billy Crystal, Tom Hanks came. 
said he remembered me from the American Idiot national tour. Oh uh, Whoopi Goldberg and um, especially when Beautiful opened, it was such an exciting time. I felt like every show there was someone who was there. Like every show it was like, this is Drew Barrymore. Like it was just like, <laughs> oh my, oh, it was I just like, oh my you God. can't even, you couldn't even <laughs> process how exciting it was. And I remember having to tell myself to not think of them as these larger than life people, because I would just be like a complete idiot. You know, I would make, I would just, I would just say the stupidest things. I had to really be like, be cool, be cool. They're just, a, they're a regular person. They just saw a show. They're just be cool. Just be calm. See, this is what people think when they meet you, Jake. This oh, is what yeah, people think sure. when they meet you. I'm sure telling you, do. my whole team yeah. is like, yeah, yeah, oh my yeah. God, Jake Epstein. Oh. No, I'm telling you. Let's talk for a minute about the love of your life, the beautiful actress and talented storyteller, Vanessa Smythe, mm. who you had a long distance relationship while you were on Broadway in New York and you eventually got married in this beautiful fairy tale wedding. And I remember because I have you on Instagram seeing it and being so happy that that was <laughs> happening. And she's so beautiful. Can you tell me about you. how that all unfolded? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm really lucky. We were high school sweethearts. She was my first serious girlfriend in high school. I met her because she was a, a grade older than me at Claude Watson. Wow. She was just the girl that was out of my league. Everyone was, was, uh, <laughs> was in love with Ness. And we did a, a play together in high school and, and got to know each other and, and started dating and had this really serious relationship in high school. And I remember thinking when I was 18, like I can marry this girl, but I'm, I'm 18. I'm so young. I don't, I haven't, I don't know who I am. Like it was a, it was a strange thing. So we uh, broke up, we went off to different schools and, and kept in touch and then kind of found each other years later. And Ended up having a long distance relationship when I was in New York for five years, wow. which was crazy, really difficult, but wow. we were really good about writing to each other all the time, talking as much as we could. We had a three week rule. So every, we wouldn't go longer than three weeks without seeing each other. Even if it meant me flying in for less than 24 hours on my day off, it was just, that was part of the relationship. And I remember thinking, well, what's the alternative? The alternative is not being with the person that I love. So it's not really an option. Yeah. So we stayed together and then I moved back to Toronto and, and we got married. It's been, we've been married for three years. So it's really, uh, wow. yeah, uh, it's, wow. Um, it's really an amazing thing. And I, I know how rare it is to to get to kind of meet the love of your life at such a young age, to get to go off and kind of experience things and meet other people and get to know who you are a bit and then get to kind of find that person again was um pretty uh, special and and uh, it's like you couldn't write it like that you know it's really yeah it's a really wonderful thing i'm so happy for you guys and i love that she also i think was one of the people that convinced you to write the story to write this yeah. fabulous behind the scenes story of the boy falls from the sky like wow yeah she's a, i mean she's a an unbelievable actor but she's a, a very gifted writer i used to go watch her perform her solo shows she had a, a show that she took to the edinburgh fringe festival that was a hit wow. 
And she, her way of connecting with an audience and being spontaneous and she would like improv and make up stories and was uh, super inspiring. And she used to host the storytelling night called The Spoke. It was with Crow's Theater and Outside the March in Toronto. And I used to go and watch her host the storytelling night and she'd tell a new story from her life every week. And yeah, that was sort of what encouraged me to go and write a show. She uh, invited me to come up and tell a story one night and I just fell in love with storytelling and with telling a real story from your life and the power of that. And when I came back from New York and I was, I had a hard time kind of processing what that period of my life was, she said, write it, write it down, turn it into a show. And then here we are. So smart. So yeah. So smart. Oh, I, I love, I can't wait to come and see it. Just briefly, can we talk about COVID? And we'll keep it very brief because we spend too much time on COVID. But how have you been managing during the pandemic? It's been a struggle for everyone. But I think really, especially for artists and for actors in the theater, what has gotten you through this time? Oh, man, it's uh, <laughs> it's been so hard for everyone. And yeah, like you said, for live performers in particular, it's been devastating. But I think... What has gotten me through this time? I mean, I've been really lucky because I've had this show to work on. I've been, I've had this material that I love to work on that fills my soul. And I was lucky because I, um, I was able to keep developing it during COVID. And, and some, you know, I did it once behind a vinyl, a clear vinyl curtain, because that was the, the, the COVID mandate at the time, yes, yes, <laughs> which I call yes. my fishbowl production. <laughs> And um, I got to, I, I did it online. I mean, I just wanted to keep doing it in any way that I could. Wow. So I was, you know, not making a penny from it, but getting to just keep going. I think it just makes this opportunity to get to do my show right now, just that much more special because I recognize how lucky we are to get to gather and, and see theater and listen to some music and laugh and be moved Oh. And I think audiences are also really hungry for that, for that experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I can't wait. I can't wait to come in and cry and just be in live theater. Like, it's interesting because I always appreciated it, but I'm such a lover of musical theater now more than ever. It's just like you're exactly you're just hungering for that experience to be in a live theater and not do everything on Zoom and on live stream. Yeah, like, no more Zoom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll be done with Zoom. No more. No more. We're, we're Zoomed out. There's a song that I remember you singing in Beautiful. And I think it's also part of your one man show because I read the script and the song. It's actually my husband's favorite song. It's Up on oh, the really? Roof. <laughs> What do you love about this song? And can you set it up for us? Uh, it is one of my favorite songs too. What I love most about it is how simple the lyrics are. And yet, and this is the brilliance of Jerry Goffin, who I got to play in Beautiful. He had this ability to take such complex ideas and emotions and communicate them with such simple words. The idea that when life is stressful, I'm going to go up on the roof. And when I'm up on the roof, I can breathe and yes. things are okay. It's such a beautiful concept and the melody is so gorgeous. And uh, I got to sing it in beautiful. And I knew when I was writing a show that it was going to be part of my show. 
Awesome. Well, we have this beautiful track of Up on the Roof from the cast recording of Beautiful, Jake Epstein on Broadway singing this. Let's have a listen. When this old world starts getting me down And people aren't just too much for me to face I'll climb way up to the top of the stairs And all my cares just drift right into space On the roof, it's peaceful as can be Jake, I love that. What a great sneak peek of some of your feel-good music in your upcoming show, Boy Falls from the Sky. That makes me so happy. I love your voice. It's such a great song. Oh, it's so amazing. I love the connection, as I said, that you create. I love your voice. I love seeing you on stage. What is bliss for Jake Epstein? What is bliss? I think it's motion. I think it's movement i think it's when um you're having a a difficult time processing a time in your life you write a show about it you do something about it you know covid is happening you find a way to keep performing i think it's forward motion is bliss yes for me yes you're always moving forward, which is so wonderful. And we're so excited for you. Everyone, I want to encourage you all to get your tickets to Boy Falls from the Sky, which is playing at the Royal Alexandra Theatre from April 19th to May 29th. And as David Mervish explains, and I quote, Jake's superb show deserves the best opportunity to be seen. We can now offer Boy Falls from the Sky in a stable and safe environment to delight, entertain, and move audiences. Tickets are available through Mervish.com. Jake, what is the best way for people to contact you and connect with you on social media? Instagram, official Jake Epstein is my name, and uh, or come to my show and find me after and we'll have a chat. We'll be there. I want to thank you so much. It's really been an (laughs) honor to have you on the show today. It's been delightful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, this has been great. Really appreciate it. This is so fun. Each week we spotlight a singer, songwriter, or musician on the show. If you're a singer, please write to us at music at findingyourbliss.com. And if you're an author, artist, yoga, meditation, or mindfulness expert, or really anybody who has found and is following their bliss, we would love to hear from you. You can write to us at fyb at findingyourbliss.com. I'm also life coach. If I can help you in any way, let me know. You can reach out and contact me at findingyourbliss.com slash coaching. Also, I'm on Insight Timer, the number one free meditation app. All you have to do is search up Judy Liebrack. And of course, you can follow us at The Bliss Minute on Instagram and Facebook. I would like to thank our wonderful celebrity guest, Jake Epstein, for being on the show today. We loved having you here. Also, thank you to Meg Ruffman, Siobhan Kylie. Shelly Koskinen, Associate Producer and Audio Engineer, Naira Amani, Senior Editor, Lauren Kaminsky, Video Editor, Beatrice Pardal, Audio Producer, Faz Kazi, and everyone here at Zoomer. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, the Create Fertility Center. 
For everyone here, I'm Judy Lee Brack, reminding you all to take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.